Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we are going to talk about trauma recovery, which is a little bit of an extension from last week's episode when I shared my whole story with all of the stress that's been going on in my life. And it's also stemmed in part from an episode that Mark did. I mean, it aired recently, like within the last month or two. I think it was about a month ago that it aired. Yeah, we recorded that though. Back in August. Yeah. So yeah, the Frank- back in August. Yeah. So we met. We mentioned the Frankie and Jess podcast a couple of weeks ago. They're doing a podcast, and so they went through a traumatic experience in the way that they were fired, and they were in a toxic work environment and just dealing with everything and processing everything. And so I thought we could start by talking about defining trauma. But I just remembered something else. So mm-hmm. there's another podcast that I wanted to mention, and I meant to bring this up when we did our episode, Disagreeing Agreeably. Mm-hmm. So this is a podcast that has been put out by a friend of mine, and it is a political podcast. I will just be upfront about that, but they are on opposite sides of the aisle. So I and now Cameron, he wouldn't. You mean, just, you mean from you or from the, each other? Oh, so they're two people who were. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh, okay. yeah. Cameron and Andrew is okay. their their name, and so it's called Agreeable Disagreements is oh. the name of this podcast, right? And so they kind of they just they go into kind of what's happening. Recent political news is kind mm-hmm. of what they do. But they talk about their different opinions on it. And so it's a very well done podcast. And it's something that I appreciate because they're on opposite views and they talk about why they disagree. They discuss their differences, Mm -hmm. which is so important if you're going to delve into the world of politics. And I've talked, I know Cameron personally, I've met Andrew once online and I, Cameron would not describe himself as necessarily conservative. But I mean, he's maybe a little, I mean, he's probably leans a little more conservative. And I think Andrew leans a little more to the, he, he's more left leaning. He likes mm-hmm. Biden. That much I do know is Andrew mm-hmm. is pro Biden. Cameron is not such a fan of Biden, but I don't, I also don't think he likes Trump. So that's all I will say on the political well, side. It sounds, it sounds interesting. Really yeah. Good. Yeah. And so they just, they discuss their different opinions their whole podcast is we argue about news and politics but like nicely (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so good example yeah yeah so i wanted to bring that up and then of course if you want to listen to the episode that mark was on you go to listen to frankie and jess.com and you can i think they call the episode like therapy or something like that but Mm -hmm. it's like it's like the second episode put out and it's it's a bonus episode and so they recorded Mm -hmm. it you guys recorded it back in august but it just aired yeah it just aired this year and so they go into this traumatic experience of you know them being Being, fired well they were fired yeah yeah it it, it sounded pretty bad it was awful they were treated very poorly and 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 the way yeah you know for being long 
really long-term employees. Thank you. What, 25 years? Yeah. And uh, Jessica, a long time as well. But they were treated terribly. Yeah. Out of the blue, no warning whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They came back from vacation. It was their first day back from a break. (laughs) It was awful. And yeah, and they're like, you guys are uh, you guys are out of here. Bye. Yeah. yeah. And they're just like, bye, Felicia. They they separated them. (laughs) Yeah. So they wouldn't let them be together and then told them that and escorted them out of the building. They wouldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, I think they let them get their stuff, but I don't know what they thought was going to happen. But yeah, they they escorted them out of the building, took their keys. Yeah, Yeah. it was it was it was messed up. Mm -hmm. And and this was traumatic for them. So I thought it would be good to talk about what makes something traumatic. Like, you know, I guess my guess is this is it has to be traumatic for you. It's all about how you feel. That's right. You know, as we were talking a little bit before we started recording, everyone experiences like like a an event. Mm-hmm. You can have two people, two kids or two adults experience an event and they'll have a different reaction to it. And yeah. so for one, it they might think of it as being traumatic and the other wouldn't. But trauma is in a very general way is when we experience either a stressful or a frightening, distressing events that are difficult to cope with. And I think a, an important component is that it's out of our control. Mm. I think, and you know, and that idea of being in control is really important because often if you're in similar experience and you're in control, it doesn't feel as traumatic. Yeah. But if you're totally out of control, so there's that piece of it is pretty important. It could be just one, one incident or it could be an ongoing or it could be multiple events over mm-hmm. time. And so, so again, it's uh, it can be pretty individualistic, you know, how we interpret the event. But it's an emotional response to terrible events, like, I mean, accidents, car accidents, yeah. rape, natural disasters. I mean, there are a lot of examples. Yeah. A death of a family member. Death of that a family member can be traumatic. Loss I think that's of a job. Yeah, I think it's especially true if it's like a death can be traumatic when it's unplanned. Yeah. Um, I saw sudden. a couple yesterday where they experienced a couple of unplanned deaths. And that's really hard. See, when you, when you can plan or when, you know, when you see someone being sick, it's not like you have any more control over it, but you prepare yourself. Yeah. And it, it can certainly be traumatic, even, mm-hmm. even a planned death, right. Or even if somebody is sick, like, you know, say if they have cancer and you're expecting it, it can still be traumatic watching them go through this long, painful death. Right. That the can, experience yeah, of watching. Yeah, you're right. Yes. That that can still be traumatic. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, what you said really resonated with me. And it's about this lack of control because as human yeah. beings, we hate not we hate feeling out of control. That's very distressing. That. Yeah, yeah, that's very so I want to talk briefly about the difference between trauma and PTSD. So post-traumatic stress disorder, because this is something that is overdiagnosed. And I would say even therapists tend to overdiagnose PTSD. I don't know about that. I don't do that. I don't know if it's overdiagnosed so much as it's very, it's a, it's a popular term, a pop culture term, mm. where if you're upset about something, you say, oh, I've got PTSD when it's not really PTSD. Yeah. So a lot of people are saying I have PTSD and they clearly don't. 
So post-traumatic stress disorder is just like it's a psychiatric disorder in the DSM and what we call the ICD-10, what I use, I think 11 is out. The ICD is a similar thing to the DSM, but you know, we reference the DSM, but the government mandated that everybody use ICD-10. So I don't know why people even buy the DSM. But so uh, it's a psychiatric disorder. You either experience an event, a traumatic event, or witness. It can be even just witnessing an event or a series of events. And this used to be the case. I don't know that this is followed so closely now, but there used to be have to be a threat to your life or mm. harm, bodily harm or life. That's one of the reasons that I was always careful, because if you're following the strict guidelines or the way it used to be, then a lot of people don't experience. PTSD because they, I mean, they may have a very upsetting event, mm-hmm. but it wasn't life-threatening or they okay. didn't see someone else lose their life or have their life threatened. And that used to be a component. But I don't think it is that way nowadays that uh, they've loosened that restriction. So again, examples include natural disasters, serious accidents, terrorist acts, combat war. And in fact, historically, the I, I believe this is true that the term PTSD came from the VA, the Veterans Administration. Mm-hmm. And so in war, I mean, people used to call it shell shock, they call it combat, combat fatigue. So it was there. It's yeah. just that the Veterans Administration, because they're dealing with, and I think it was probably started with the veterans from World War II, but especially Vietnam, that's where this term comes from. And so I think that, you know, with PTSD, Oh, they, you have disturbing thoughts, feelings related to the experience that lasts long after the traumatic event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's popularized in movies. I think we, most of us have seen a movie where you have a combat vet, typically a Vietnam vet, who then is triggered by, something. say, fireworks, something yeah. like that. And it sets them back, right? And that, that is certainly a dramatization, but it's accurate. Right. And it, that really happens. So, I mean, that's just one example of how if you have PTSD, you can be triggered. Loud noises, confined spaces can do it. So, you know, fear, anger, sadness, flashbacks, nightmares. Now, the other thing that I should mention is that I think it's like the last five to 10 years, there's an additional designation for PTSD. It's called, you'll see a C dash PTSD. C stands for complex. Mm-hmm. So complex PTSD is fairly new. And in fact, they did not put it in the DSM-5. So it's not a diagnosis in the DSM-5 because they determined that people with what they call complex PTSD also qualified for just the regular PTSD diagnosis. But it is in that international diagnostic manual called the ICD-11. Okay. So it does exist as the real diagnosis. And the difference is that often PTSD is generally related to a single event or a series of events in a short period of time where Mm -hmm. complex PTSD is more related to like a series of events that occur over time, an extended period of time, or even different events. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's probably not surprising to you or some of our listeners that people experience, some people experience a lot of traumatic events in their yeah yeah and it's terrible because it really it it does create that ptsd but i think we would probably designate it more 
complex PTSD. Mm -hmm. So that went on for a while, but I think, does that help you with the difference between trauma and PTSD? So PTSD is a diagnosable psychiatric disorder. Right. And whereas trauma... Trauma, it depends on the person. If they consider it traumatic, then it's traumatic. Right. And typically with trauma, it's often something that you can deal with on your own, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that you can process. But if you have PTSD and it's something you're genuinely diagnosed with, then you probably need some sort of professional help in coping with it. And but if we is, go, you know, so if we we go back to well, we were talking about Frankie and Jess a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. and one of the things that stood out to me is they had a really great support group. Yeah. And so for a traumatic event, so I would, I mean, I don't know that they would say they have PTSD. I think that they had this traumatic event happen, but what was very clear is they had a very strong support group. And so trauma, I think that's the most important thing. I think if you've had a traumatic event and you're alone, yeah, that makes it very hard. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree because one of the best ways to heal from a trauma is to talk about it. Yeah, right. right. And in an in a time and an environment where you're comfortable, because it's mm-hmm. probably just going to make it worse if somebody is trying to force this on you and like, hey, no, tell me what's going on in your life, and you're not ready or you're not comfortable. That's right. That's not going to be a good situation. But if you have somebody where you can that you can comfortably talk to and be mm-hmm. open with, that's going to be extremely healing and a yeah. very critical part to recovering from it. So I can think of two traumatic events that I've had in my life. One could probably probably bordered into PTSD, but at the time I was already in counseling. I started counseling for postpartum depression mm-hmm. after my after our first was born. And so our oldest was about six weeks old. We were driving down the highway in the snow and we spun out and we went into the median and our car flipped on two wheels and then went oh. back. It went, it, we didn't end up flipping completely over, but we went up on two wheels and then went back down. And it was traumatic for me, obviously. Well, you can see threat of <laughs> threat of injury or bodily yep. harm or lo- loss of life. Yes. Is there, yes. That's a real thing. Oh, yeah. And out of your control. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and so obviously our, our you know, our brand new baby's in the back seat, and that only added oh, to it. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine how awful that would be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and we, we were able to drive home and be fine, right? Like, there was, no one was injured. Everyone was fine. No one else was involved. But it it was very traumatic. And for weeks or even months after that because it was in the snow every time it snowed and we got in the car i was back in that instance right yeah. i was back in that moment and it's like we're yeah. driving and you know curtis would start to slide just a little bit and in my mind that stop sign that's you know 10 20 feet away we're gonna hit that stop sign and so mm-hmm. i'm like <gasps> right that like i'm i'm gasping and grabbing onto curtis for dear life because oh, i think I, you have ptsd <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I mean, I probably did. And, you know, Mm -hmm. thankfully, Curtis was very patient with me because another thing, I became terrified that he was going to crash and, you know, on the way home, like I would get really anxious when I knew it was time for him to drive. He was in school. And so sometimes he would just be at school late, just studying. And I wouldn't know when he's coming home. And that would make me so anxious. 
or when I know he was, when he would leave to go to school or to go to work, I would get really anxious wondering, mm. is, did he make it there? Okay. And thankfully in that instance, he was very patient with me and he was, he agreed to text me. So he would text me, you know I mean? And, and this sounds a little bit controlling, but it was just, it was, it was a coping mechanism. And, you know, Curtis and I were both okay with doing this. So well, our, our job as spouses is to create emotional safety. Yeah. And that's sometimes sometimes that means we text each other. Exactly. And so every time he left the house, he would text me when he got there. And then when he was leaving, he would text me to let me know when he, when he was leaving somewhere and, you know, and this went on for months and he was happy to do this for me. And it wasn't about, I mean, I guess it was in a way about control for me, but it wasn't an issue of lack of trust. It was a way to help manage my anxiety it gave me right. a better sense of control, but it had nothing to do with trust. Well, I don't know if it's control because you can't control anything. All you do is get information. Often information is what we need yeah, to, true. to calm our anxiety. Because the knowledge, he's there, yeah. then says, okay, I can let go. Yeah. 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 And I don't have any, I, I'm fine now. In fact, I can drive comfortably or I, I don't know how comfortable anyone is driving in the snow, but I'm, I can drive confidently in the snow and I can be in the car with somebody as a passenger and be in the snow and be just fine. And Curtis no longer needs to text me, you know, every time he gets somewhere or every time he's leaving somewhere, you know, I mean, because this has been, it's been 11 years now. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was definitely, I had some, some PTSD and I was able to, to move past it. So the next incident was a lot more recent for, I don't think that it necessarily turned into PTSD for me, but it could have because it was, uh, you know, the fear of losing my son. And so mm-hmm. I, right. we talked about, yeah, so we talked about this last week. So he had, uh, we had a stomach bug go through the house and we still had a monitor in his room at the time. Because he's downstairs and everybody else is upstairs. So we kept a monitor, a baby monitor in his room so we could hear him in the middle of the night if he needed us. And so we thought we heard him throw up, but we weren't really sure because he didn't, he wasn't crying. And so I just, at first, I and I was so tired because I'd been up half the night with him with the stomach bug. And so I go in to go check on him and sure enough, he'd thrown up. And he was kind of acting stiff and a little odd, but I just assumed, oh, he's just covered in throw up. And so he just doesn't like that. So I mm-hmm. take him upstairs to clean him up. I set him in the bathtub and he just falls over. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, buddy, what, what's what's going on? And and it was weird because his eyes were open, but he wasn't, he couldn't tell I was there. He wouldn't answer. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't answer any questions. And it, eventually I was like, Curtis, something is wrong with him. We need to go right now. He is not responding. He's it's like the lights are on, but nobody is home. Mm. And it was one of those instances where it's like, do we call 911 or do we just go straight to the emergency room? And we live close enough to the hospital that it was it would be quicker for us just to go. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't even bother buckling him in. We literally jumped in the truck, drove there and then Curtis dropped me off at the entrance and I, and I was holding him the whole time. And I remember sitting here driving in this short drive, looking down at him and thinking what is going on in his brain, because something is clearly going wrong in his brain. Right. I mean, he's neurologically not there, not right. He's just, and he was like staring wide eyed at nothing. 
and when we got to the emergency room, it was one of those things. They didn't even triage him. They didn't even ask his name. They did a sternum rub, which is a, they rubbed the middle of his chest, which is what they do to check for a painful stimuli response. And he didn't respond. And so at that point, they're just like, okay, let's go. And they immediately treated him. And they asked about history. And I said, well, he's had a history of low blood sugar before. And so they checked his, they did a finger stick and they checked his blood sugar and it just read low, which apparently the meters at the hospital, the lowest that they read is 20. His Mm -hmm. blood sugar had fallen to 18, which is like scary low. And so once they got the sugar in him, he immediately started to show these signs of life. And Curtis and I are just practically crying in relief because it's like, okay, our son's going to be okay. But, you know, in the moment, it's traumatic because I remember thinking, is this something that's permanent? Like, do we just have to manage this? Like, is this this his life now? Is just unresponsiveness? Is, you know, what is going on? Like, what happened to cause this? And so that was certainly traumatic. And something that we were talking about on air beforehand was our daughter's response. And so this happened first thing in the morning as our daughter was getting ready to go to school. And she watched all this go down. Like she watched us carrying him to the hospital. And then right after that, she was just rushed off to school. She had no idea what's going on. And so once things calmed down, I thought to call the school and ask to talk to her. You know, I called the school and I said, hey, I need to talk to my daughter. Her brother was rushed to the emergency room and I need to know, I need to let her know that he's okay. But I think that she is still kind of processing this. Now, Curtis and I, we've had each other. With, with your daughter, though, the other thing is it's happened multiple times with yes. your son. Yeah. I mean, we it, talked about three three times? In six four, weeks. Three? Yeah. Yeah. And none of them was as traumatic as mm-hmm. this first one, right? It was just, we. he was sick, and so he had to go to the hospital, right? And so, like, but so we, we still, see, for a little kid? Yeah. That's a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You as an adult are able to process that. Right. For a child, even at 11, that would be hard to process. Yeah. And she was only 10 at the time. And, yeah. you know, and and it's interesting because she's been having worse sleep problems and she's kind of she's always kind of struggled with sleep. But, you know, now that I think about it, it's been in the last year that's gotten pretty bad. And we were talking about this before we started recording. I think it had an effect on her. Yeah. And I think that, you know, she's not coping very well with it. Right. And so one thing with children, mm-hmm. here's, here's my suggestion, is that you try and help her really get a sense that you and Curtis are in control mm-hmm. of your son's health, that, mm-hmm. that you've taken charge. And you can even say, here's what. Yeah. And that is probably something that, you know, we should we should sit down and do with her. And so the the crazy thing is, is if this it popped up on my Facebook today because you know i get notifications of what happened like on this day so many years ago it's Mm -hmm. one year today that this happened this happened and it's valentine's day today uh, as it happens and so you know it just like this literally this has happened one year ago and curtis and i have processed this and we're in an okay place and i guess i just assumed that because i took that time to call her and let her know that everything was okay that it that it wouldn't affect her like it she wouldn't have any long-term ramifications i don't think that's the case no i don't think it is either but i think it's a lot of subsequent events that happen yeah and you know another thing too that makes me think that it's bringing it up is you know every time he's been in the hospital 
So the first time and the last time were kind of longer stays and she was able to either visit him in the hospital or she was able to do a video chat. And both times when she saw him, she got really emotional. She just Mm -hmm. started crying and she's like, they're just happy tears. I'm just so relieved to see him. Okay. Which, you know, as I'm thinking about it, is signaling to me, she's not coping very well with this. That's right. Yeah. And so that's another thing to think about is children and trauma. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this wasn't something that anybody had any control over. Right. And, you know, these kind of events happen. I mean, I would say that it's fair to say that somebody's going to go through something traumatic at least once in their life. That's true. I, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. And the two instances that I brought are just instances that came up in my adult life. I've certainly had other traumas in my childhood. And I mean, I'm sure people are probably going to go through multiple traumatizing experiences. And, you know, but I think everybody will have at least one event where it's like, oh, yeah, no, this triggers me. This evokes a a reaction in me that I have like almost like a visceral reaction that really makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I think in terms of if you have a child that is dealing with some sort of a trauma. So, I mean, your recommend recommendation with our daughter is, you know, talk about it, obviously. Why, what other recommendations right. you have? Right. I think that, well, I think in this case, the way you've described it, that you and Kurt can easily handle this to help her feel secure and mm-hmm. more like you've got a plan to to solve any future events like this. Yeah. Um, I think in the extreme where kids have trauma or PTSD because say some sort of neglect or sexual abuse, something like that, then therapy is really appropriate. But I think I've mentioned before, both Lindy and I are, you know, we have a strong bias towards what's called child-centered play therapy. Because, Because kids from, I mean, this is a general guideline from about 12, uh, and under, or 11 and under, don't do well in talk therapy. I mean, it depends on if male or female. Females generally do better just because they develop verbally a little bit uh, faster. Mm-hmm. You know, so depending on the age, you'd want to do child-centered play therapy, or if they're verbal, you know, they can start into talk therapy. But I think therapy can be really helpful for kids. Yeah. And, you know, child-centered play therapy, like, it's, there is talking going on, right? It's just... Well, it's reflection. Yeah, it's different. It's a, and yeah, it's, Right. So the child is certainly talking. It's just that what's happening is the therapist is reflecting and validating the emotional content of either what the child is doing or what the child is saying. Yeah, and so it, it's, and it's effective because... Mm-hmm, it is. I mean, and not that it's not helpful to talk to children, right? I mean, I think there, right. there, that can be very helpful. And to sit down and, and have a focused conversation about an issue with the child. I'm sure that even child-centered play therapy would involve, could involve some of that where you have just a few minutes to... Well, you know, it would never involve that. Really? Uh, okay. And yeah, Lindy's pretty adamant about it. For people who are interested, a guy named out of the University of North Texas, mm-hmm. I'll think of it. But that's where it comes from. But it changes. The, and certainly if you're in the playroom, you never engage the child in that way because the child is in control. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to talk, then it might be in a different, it might be in the waiting room oh, okay. or something like that. But it's never going to be in the playroom. Okay. So I guess the, the, it sounds like the whole point of this is you're giving 
the child, the child controlled. control when control has been taken from them, typically in the traumatic event. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's about. And it's the validation of the emotion and the experience as well. Okay. Yeah. So it, takeaways from today's episode. If you're not coping well, seek help. Treatment, treatment is available. And so the yeah. three main treatments, I'll just mention very quickly, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. The, these are the three recommended for trauma or PTSD. What is called PE or prolonged exposure. Now that depends on, you know, what the event is. For instance, having a, being in a car accident might, uh, you know, qualify for doing prolonged exposure where, okay, let's drive around in a car for three hours. And, you know, eventually what happens, you'll become more comfortable in the car. Mm-hmm. It's the thing I've said before that if you have a fear, if you stay away from the fear, the fear generally gets bigger. If you approach the fear and get close to it, then it generally goes away. Yeah. The third one is EMDR, eye movement desensitization. I can't even remember what the EMDR stands for. I think a lot of people are familiar with it. I do want to mention, however, that there is a, a, you might call it a subset of EMDR. Now, the name, I don't like the name. They're calling it Flash. Okay. But I, so Lindy does this. I have another colleague, Lee, who does this, and they say it really works. And so it, but it's, it's specific. I think I can say this pretty correctly, that it is specific to, say, one traumatic event, one traumatic, one-time event. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Is where, where it works. A, because what you're doing in both the EMDR and the flash is you're focusing on a specific event. Mm-hmm. And so both of those have been found to be very, very helpful. And for some people, they don't like the EMDR. And so the CBT is certainly uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is certainly helpful as well. But seek help if you're having, if you have any of those symptoms, you know, nightmares, can't sleep, flashback, you're triggered, then I think that says that, uh, you know, you really need to seek help. There are therapists, that, and I only know the local group, but I think that this is probably true throughout the country, that a lot of therapists, psychologists train with the VA and then go off into private practice. And so those particular therapists have a lot of experience with trauma and PTSD. So yeah. in your community, uh, if there happens to be a VA hospital, you can probably find one of those therapists in private practice. Okay. Or if yeah. it's an agency of some kind. And if you do have some sort of a major fear that you're dealing with and you're nervous about prolonged exposure, I think it's it's worth mentioning that they don't just throw you right into the exposure. Right. right. I probably I didn't explain yeah. that very well at all. Yeah, yeah. You you increase the time. You start yeah. very very slowly and you increase the time. And what you're doing is at least if I were doing this, I would put a heart rate monitor on on the person so that you mm-hmm. can see what's going on with their heart rate. And as soon as their heart rate goes up, then you start to pull back. So you're really aware of what's going on physically, and you yeah. only progress to the next level if you can handle it physiologically. Yeah. So, so they're not. Thank, thank you for that reminder. That's yeah, they're reminder. they're not just going to flat out do <clears throat> no. a panic attack because that's <laughs> <Right>. not helpful. <clears throat> so, no. all right. So next week, we're probably not going to have a show. <laughs> well. <laughs> No, I'll be gone. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. So I'll be gone. Yeah, yeah. Mark is going to Hawaii <laughs> yes. for for two weeks. And so yeah. what I am going to do is I'm actually going to do something a little different. I'm going to release an entire episode. I'm going to put an episode out on YouTube. 
So if you've ever, <laughs> if you, if, yeah, if you've ever wanted to know what Mark and I look like, <laughs> and you've never seen us in person, here's your chance. There's going to be yeah. an episode, <laughs> and it's an episode you've already heard. But just, I just make sure I'm dressed okay, and my hair, <laughs> you know, because I'm just sitting in my home in my office. I well, me and, too. And I don't care what you think of how I'm looking. <laughs> so could could you do a little, you know, homework first before you release it? <laughs> Yeah, I'll thank you. Uh, thank you, Liz. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. It's the so the episode that I wanted to do because I thought it was funny and because Curtis makes a cameo in it. Okay, is the disagreeing agreeably episode that oh, we that was did? A good one. I yeah, did a few weeks ago. And I know, and I remember you're wearing a, a grace a gray shirt because oh, because you said that. Yeah, uh, that's right. Because because okay. we disagreed about. Well, I mean, I got the color of your shirt wrong. Is really what it comes down okay. to. <laughs> Now, I do want to give you a fair warning. There might not be any video editing. So this is going to be raw, unedited footage. Yeah, it it will be. But, you know, Mark and I, we do a lot of ums or, you know, Mm -hmm. like clearing our throat and those kinds of things. And that's going to be in there. It'll all be in there. Yeah. yeah, So this is raw footage that you're going to be be incredibly annoying, too. It could be. (laughs) It could be, hopefully. I mean, because and you're going to see just how much editing that I yeah. really do in the podcast because I cut out quite a bit just because, I mean, you don't need to hear us repeating ourselves or right. Stumbling over our words. So we're going to do that. And then we will be off for a week. So Mark can enjoy his time in yeah. Hawaii. And when we do get back, we are going to get into sexuality. As I mentioned, today's Valentine's day. And yeah. so it kind of fits in with the theme of February. I guess, mm-hmm. although I'm not sure it'll drop until March, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. Sexuality is applicable year round. Hopefully right. you're thinking about it and talking about it on more than just Valentine's Day. Yeah. Because uh, it matters in a long-term committed relationship. Yes. So we will see you all next week. Yes. Bye. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 